around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We're in it now. <laughs> We're in the midst of it. Yeah. I feel good. Did you ever run like a 5K or something? Um, I mean, I run races. I don't remember what the lengths were. This is easy right now. Yeah. This is going to get a whole lot harder around episode eight. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I, I'm guessing that there won't be a follow-on list of screener links for the back half of uh, Lower Decks, right? Oh, I wouldn't be so sure about that, Ben. I think the same spirit that inspired us to ask to be invited to a party, (laughs) the premiere party for Lower Decks, is the same spirit behind sending a follow-up email around episode five asking if we could get those last five Fs (laughs) in screener form. I was thinking that maybe episodes six through ten aren't done yet. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, because it's very clear now that there's a pipeline, right? Yeah. And the lower decks train can't hold up the next Star Trek train coming. Right. And so forth, right? This is this is what you run into uh in the airline industry. There's no slack in the system right now. If there's a mechanical issue with one of the Star Trek <laughs> yeah. series, it's not like they have a hangar full of spare Star Trek series to come bring out. If someone on lower decks is flapping their lips and gets duct taped to a seat <laughs> by a flight attendant, yeah, the show is still coming in for landing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We can't. We're not we can't diverting stop the show. For Karens, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I am not holding my breath for future screeners. I think this is a nice treat. It's come at basically the best possible time for us to have gotten screeners because we have no producer as of this recording yeah (laughs) look at me ben Mm. look at me i'm the producer now (laughs) you kind of are you've really edited like most of the last uh several like i'd say of the last month of greatest discovery you've edited like 80 percent of it that's why it's so good i feel like i am much better in a crisis than i am when things are normal does that make sense (laughs) yeah yeah i'm really great when things are bad and i show up on vacation and you say i picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue yes (laughs) and i'm really okay and average every other time (laughs) yeah i'm freaking out ban i don't know what to do with myself It'll be fine, man. It'll be great. I think I'm glad that it's Lower Decks time right now because the work is so funny. Yeah. Right? If we were still doing Deep Space Nine and and like all of our shows were very serious, I think it would be less fun to be doubling up our work the way we are. But as it is, the Voyager run we've been having on our hit mainline Star Trek podcast... Uh, the Greatest Generation. <laughs> Did you going, almost forget what it was called? <laughs> going great. Yeah. And we're in the funny season of uh, The Greatest Discovery. So It's true. These Good are easier to, to prep because they're shorter episodes. You actually had a a, a, a like a premonition, a, a daymare about a thing that could happen with Lower Decks. That... Oh, I want to get that out in the world as soon as possible. Yeah, That's a good we, should, we need to talk about this because we need to establish this fear. 
before before this fear is is made real. <laughs> this episode today is what gave me that fear. This is an episode that is full of visual trivia per- predominantly. Yeah. But just trivia in general. And I was thinking as I was watching the ep how awful it would be <laughs> for there to be a depiction of Kevin Uxbridge on Star Trek Lower Decks that didn't involve our contributions in any way. Like, imagine mm. Kevin being on Lower Decks, being voiced by a great voice actor and yeah. not us. Boy, it it should really be you. It should... But also, I mean, he's not our character. He's a Star Trek character. He's like way more Lower Decks character than he is ours. It's hard not to feel possessive of Kevin, but at the same time, knowing that Kevin would be the best fit for Lower Decks. Oh, Kevin would be so funny on Lower Decks. Kevin's like the kid I never had who's about to leave for college and like, I'm holding on too tight, man. (laughs) Kevin's got to leave the nest. You gotta let me go, Dad. You're you're being even weirder than you were when I got my learner's permit. I just want to go swimming with girls. (laughs) I need my independence. You basically did not respond to that text, and I'm I'm really wondering how you feel. How how would you feel were Kevin to pop up on the show? Hmm. I didn't mean to not respond to your text. You sent it in, like during the evening and I was having like an intense discussion with my wife about something. So it wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't really just like say, Hey, uh, hold that thought about your extremely high pressure job so that I can, <laughs> <laughs> so that I can uh, stroke Adam's anxiety surrounding Kevin Uxbridge. <laughs> I want to say in all seriousness, you've become much, much better at maintaining your true office hours than I am. I'm all over the place with my work time, and you you do a pretty good job of buttoning it up at dinner. This this is something that you inspired, that it's a a real job. We should treat it as as having having hours. I often inspire things I don't subscribe to personally. I think that here's the thing about Lower Decks. There are so many moments in season one and now in these first two episodes of season two I think every episode has a moment where I'm like, mm, fuck, I'm jealous of this joke. I'm jealous that yeah. this room got to do this bit and that I wasn't in there to put a tag on it or put some Uxbridge Shimoda stank on it. Like there is a little bit of FOMO I have about the production of a comedy Star Trek thing that has the imprimatur of real Star Trek on it. Especially because we know how much fun we have making our shows like imagine going into a writer's room and having that kind of fun every day exactly so that is a feeling that i can hold in one hand while also on the other hand feeling excited to experience these jokes like so many of these jokes slap really hard and are a great take on star trek i mean some of it is not, you know, like there's stuff in lower decks that i don't think is perfect or flawlessly funny but I'm glad that it exists, you know? I'm I'm enjoying its run. And if there was a Kevin thing, I would be excited to see what they did with Kevin. I had this thought when I was thinking about New Trek this morning over coffee when I was thinking about, you know, how, how New Trek really inspires a lot of very strong feelings, both positive and negative. Yeah. And how similar it must be to, like, 
If you get invited over to a friend's house for their celebration of a holiday, <laughs> and it's not exactly the way that you and your family celebrate, <laughs> like your feelings aren't hostile right. about that. You see what I'm saying? I'm drawing the comparison to this new Star Trek in that same way. Like this is a celebration of Star Trek at your friend's house. Yeah. And they might not do it the same way that you do it at yours. And that's fine. And there's there's plenty to have fun with while you're at it. Yeah, I think that's a great way of thinking about it. I recently read the Rotten Tomatoes user score of Lower Decks, like the one or two sentence reviews that people that go on Rotten Tomatoes have left on Lower, lower Decks is a very low hey, user set, score. Give me give me an over over under on that. I want to I want to bet where it is. Okay, um, so it's it's just a percentage. So. Just like over under, what do you, th if, if the line is 50, do you think it's over or under 50%? God, on the I would be score? devastated if it were under 50. I'm going to say it's barely over 50. When I looked, it was 49. For some stupid reasons. God damn it. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like the, the takes are precisely what you would anticipate. This is, this is unfunny. It's, it's making fun of Star Trek. I can't believe Star Trek did this. I love, cartoons that are tailored for adults but i hate this it's unwatchable the and appetite for lower decks is exactly the reason why greatest gen became popular yeah well and the like really unfortunate through line on so many of them are people complaining that it is like too focused on female characters and their stories like God, that's such a boring argument it's God. boring and and it's like it's when you see it like over and over again in that context, it is just like really obvious what's going on. I'm sure every single one of the people writing that th thought they had kind of an original run at what was wrong with Lower Decks in their mind. And uh, and it's, it's There's fucking... plenty of shirtless Jack Ransom for those people. I know. I know. Those people, I guess, want uh, 48 minutes of... Symphony Orchestra Beta Cut Commanders, you know, on their on their Star Trek programming every week. That's what they'd rather have or something. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the argument. I don't get it. I don't know how you grow up watching Star Trek and turn out to be such a right-wing asshole. Yeah. Well. So. <laughs> Anyways. Some, some mysteries will never be solved. I'm really enjoying watching this show and I would like to dally no longer i want to get into it buddy all right let's do it it's uh the second episode of star trek lower decks season two its title is kashan his eyes open we're heading to the co-ed showers adam the crew the three of them the three remaining are exhausted they were up all night due to red alerts and they meet jet at the door to the showers, he's got his shampoo and his conditioner, and he's joining Beta Shift. Feels like it's been a while since we've seen an ideal product placement <laughs> in an episode of Star Trek, and here we are with uh, with matching shampoo and conditioner bottles emblazoned with a logo. <laughs> Starfleet logo, yeah. Yeah. That must come out of the replicator, right? I guess. You know what I'm really glad about is that in the 24th century, we're back to containers 
for things like shampoo, conditioner, and body wash in the shower instead of the bolted to the wall <laughs> pump situation, which I understand is more environmentally friendly. Right. But in a, in a perfect ways. future, I'm sure that's not a concern. Yeah, when you can throw your empties back into the replicator and they just get converted into like pasta. <laughs> you, you shoot your empties into the sun is what you do. <laughs> it's not a uh, problem. So this uh, co-ed shower turns into a bit of a sonic wave measuring contest. Hope this isn't too high for you. Jet and Mariner, a bit of friction between them because he is there kind of taking Boimler's place. And uh, she starts cranking up the sonic on the sonic shower. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we're almost there with shower technologies. Like... Have you ever stayed at a Kohler hotel? Oh, no. When I was in Wisconsin- Is that a brand of hotel or just a hotel that features that brand of bathroom fixture? When I was in Wisconsin, Kohler's big there. A Kohler manufacturing facility is there. And there's a whole hotel called the Kohler Lodge that I stayed (laughs) in. And it had the fanciest ass shower I'd ever been in in my life. Wow. And- and like we're at the point in shower technology where it seems like digital readouts and stuff are going to be more commonplace in the years ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, like the consumer report says, if you buy a fridge with a iPad built into the front of it, your fridge is going to have about the useful life that an iPad would have, not the useful life that you would expect out of a fridge. <laughs> so I worry that this is all just in service of planned obsolescence and people having to constantly renovate their bathrooms. I'm Richard Trithui, here to install some sort of weird iPad shower device readout, and I I gotta tell you, I am just stumped by this thing. This is a true plumber's lament. <laughs> the manufacturer reassures us that the front face and camera is not on during the shower, <laughs> but uh, that's not a risk I'm really, really willing to run. <laughs> I've had many embarrassing moments captured on film. (laughs) And I am just not comfortable being in one of these showers. (laughs) Oh, look, it's got Motown. (laughs) So uh, they keep turning it up. They go full Andrew WK with the settings on the sonic shower, causing everyone else to flee. And this kind of sets up the tension for the A story in this episode. Yeah, shower measuring contest to theme <laughs> is what we get here. And after the theme, we get Freeman's Log to set up the rest of the episode. This is going to be a collector episode, a yeah. kind of Star Trek episode. They have pulled up to a ship that is full of deep cut references to old Star Trek episodes. And they're there to catalog its contents for the Collector's Guild. Ugh, collector's Guild. Just a bunch of greedy pack rats. Chairman Siggy is the guy on the FaceTime. Kind of a, a cephalopod type creature in yeah. my estimation. Yeah. Looks like he's he's caught one of his uh, his tentacles in something. <laughs> Looks like he had a he had one of those like maybe caught in a copy machine. Yeah. Or something. There's some references to the episode with the Lulu Lou in this that I thought were very fun. A- apparently, that was not the only instance of somebody attempting to collect data. Siggy, I would have bet anything was voiced by John Gabris. Oh, really? I, I was positive it was him. You and said I that after the premiere, and I, I did not make the connection that that's the character you were talking about. I was like, 
Uh, Just hearing Gabrus on on a bunch of comedy bang bang stuff, this sounds like a character he would do, and I would have lost every penny I had on that bet. <laughs> it's a good thing we're not in Vegas yet, Adam. Right, right. I think it is Rich Fulcher doing that voice. I oh guess. yeah, I mean Rich Fulcher was going to be my second choice. Uh-huh. Uh, has he ever, he's, has he ever been on High and Mighty? I mean, Rich Fulcher is also the voice of the Pac-Led captain, so uh, he might he might be uh, like a lot of voice actors on the show doing double or triple or quadruple duty. Yeah, I guess we're we're uh, at a bit of a disadvantage because IMDb hasn't been populated with the information as of this recording. So Chairman Siggy's on the FaceTime going like, look, I, I too am a collector of things, and my buddy over here just died. So what I need is the help of the Cerritos crew to kind of go through and catalog all of this person's belongings. Right. This is going to be thrown to a Tamarian who has just joined the crew as the chief of security. A very grand entrance here. The elevator stops and Kayshawn comes in. He's got the knife on his chest. Kayshawn voiced by Carl Tart, which was maybe the main reason I suspected that <laughs> John Gabris was the voice. You thought of that they Siggy. were just systematically going through every podcaster in Los Angeles and giving them a voice role before they give us the voice role of being ejected into space? <laughs> what my theory presupposes is that uh, by season seven or eight, it might be our turn. He'll be like scraping the bottom of the barrel. Up. We're in the we're in the Star Trek Lower Decks butcher shop. We've just taken a number. That number is eighty thousand. <laughs> so it's our lower deckers who get sent on this away mission under Lieutenant Kayshawn. So we get a a walk and talk with them walking down the hallway, which I don't really remember much of because I was just so mesmerized by Jet's chest swinging back and forth. Yeah, it really looks here like Jet has replaced Boims in our core four characters. And Uh not just replacing him physically, but in philosophy. Jet is revealed to be kind of a tryhard in the Boimler tradition. A by-the-book man. Which uh, is so not cool because Jet was supposed to be cool, right? Like, all the build-up to Jet was just how much of a fucking badass he is. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see Jet in a positive light when we are seeing him through Mariner's eyes and she's so repelled by this. True, yeah. And it made me wonder, like, why the difference? Like, why is she not repelled by Boimler's adherence to the rules, etc.? Right. Speaking, Speaking of Boimler, we get to uh, see him on the Titan and it is much the same as it was when we left him in, in episode one of season two. I mean, that's the pattern, right? Every time anyone asks the question about Boimler, we cut to <laughs> mid-terrifying space battle. Yeah. And they're like doing loop-the-loops around a pack-led ship, dropping bangers on it. The the pack-leds warp out of there, and it's a big triumphant victory. But like Boimler, every time they cut to Boimler, he's either screaming or like grinding his teeth. He's very twitchy. He is not equal to the stresses that are being inflicted on him on the Titan. It's interesting the dynamic between Riker and Boimler and that Riker is so confident that that doesn't spill over to Boims at all. It doesn't make him feel any better that Riker is projecting that everything's going to be fine and everything's under control (laughs) and nothing is dangerous in the moment because of his esprit de corps about things. So much confidence among the Titan crew. It's really wild. Yeah. 
and it's not working for Boehm's. Like whatever that is, whatever that ingredient is on that ship, he doesn't have it yet. Back on the Cerritos, our heroes meet Kayshawn. I love that he's like kind of still working on his Federation standards. So he's he like occasionally will throw a metaphor in and uh, somebody will have to like pick up from context clues what he's trying to say. I look forward to, uh, oh, geez, Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. Uh, that's how you communicate, isn't it? By, by metaphor. Yeah, he's got kind of pigeon federation standard doesn't he <laughs> kind of putting it together yeah it, it's, he's kind of doing an antonio banderas how you say <laughs> uh yes right so this ship they transport to we should just get out of the way right now way too many references and sight gags to to count all of them it really is true. a delightful place to be and it's a very fun place to just count up all those sight gags but uh, to do that on the show would be impossible. It would be. So uh, so. So why even try? Yeah, I don't know. Just tweet them. <laughs> tweet them with the hashtag Gray's Discovery. What did tell, you like? What did you people, like seeing over there? That I mean, might, might like, be a, a good question. I liked seeing the Mars rover. I liked seeing Suck Disc. Um, yeah, Suck Disc was fun. I feel like some of the artwork on the walls may have been references to like matte paintings from... TNG era establishing shots. Yeah. One that kind of bothered me was the silver face on a box that was like the the rejoice the box. box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that Lawaxana sent ahead. That was of, a good pull. It, it was a good pull, but the box was not shaped right. It, it oh. The box in the as depicted in Lower Decks <laughs> is like tall and skinny and not that kind of like low trapezoid. Here it goes. Uh, okay, next question at uh, at the convention. You, sir, the tall gangly one for, who for some reason is wearing a cravat. Go ahead. Hello. Um, I uh, recently enjoyed uh, season two, episode two of Star Trek colon Lower Decks. And um, when they first board the uh, ship that they're supposed to be cataloging all the artifacts on. <laughs> Can you explain... Both why the box does not tell anyone to rejoice, and then also what changed about the box? Why is it at a different shape? Can you kind of go into the backstory of why that would have happened to that box? And thirdly, is it still full of uh, jewels that look like they were taken off of people showing their boobs at Mardi Gras in New Orleans? Get a light. That would be a real showstopper of a, of a moment in any convention, Ben. I'm looking forward to experiencing that for myself. And why did he ask Shatner? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Siggy over here is a real ball breaker. For someone who needs a favor, he's being kind of a dick to our away team. Really but, entitled. And he does sort of low-key demonstrate some interest in keeping some of the premium stuff for himself right away. So you you have him pegged as kind of a suspicious operator. Mm-hmm. If you don't bit. already, you do right now. The high-ticket items in these cases... That stuff stays here. A little bit self-serving here. We suspect him greatly. On the Titan, we get a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where they start going over what Starfleet intelligence thinks is up with these Paclids and uh, how they can kind of get ahead of the looming Paclid threat. There's a mining colony that the Paclids are expected to attack, and they're going to go undercover and see if they can put a tracker on the Paclids to figure out where they're projecting this power from 
Boimler is that overly eager note taker that I think we all knew our freshman year of college, right? Yeah. You write down just every fucking word you can like a court reporter. (laughs) And uh, you end up just like overloading your notes. Like too many notes is is just as useless as no notes at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I could learn from this show, actually, because I'm looking at my notes that I made about this episode, and I have as many things written down about this 30-minute episode of Lower Decks as I do about your average hour-long episode of uh, Voyager or Deep Space Nine. (laughs) Yeah, Greatest Discovery used to be a real chill show. Now look at us. (laughs) What happened to us? We We became boimler We boimlered Greatest Discovery. Yeah, so the next mission is, is to embed themselves with the miners. Stay strong, brother. We miners shall overcome. Dude, you're clearly Starfleet. Your hands are super soft and clean. Back with the collector's collection, Siggy makes a pass at Rutherford. The sort of pass that goes like, hey, buddy, I'm really liking the look of that head appliance. I've got a menagerie waiting for you. Uh, yeah. If you ever decide to quit Starfleet. <gasps> Take my card. He does not like the sound of that. Not one bit. I kind of expected him to consider it for a moment, given how considerate Rutherford is most of the time for other people's feelings. Yeah. Like, give him the soft letdown is what I was expecting, but there's no letdown at all. There's no letdown at all. It's just a, it's just a hard no. They get in some trouble with the portrait of the collector here. I'm always a little bit scared by portraits that come alive. Is that, yeah. a, is that a thing for you? Like, that is a deep-seated childhood fear that I feel like is, as a child, you're just bombarded by this idea. <laughs> I hate it. It does. This is a portrait that does very much have the color palette of uh, of the Ghostbusters 2 portrait. Yeah, another movie at a certain age that really hit me all wrong. Did not like. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't play for jokes. No. <laughs> he kind of Dennis Nedry's them. Uh-uh. If you're seeing this hollow message, it means I'm dead. Explains that they're in big trouble for Uh trying to steal his stuff. And this cataloging job has turned into a kind of a Jurassic Park. We're trapped in here with the dinosaurs situation. God damn it! Hate this hacker crap! And he he fires a beam that's meant for Tendi. Kayshawn jumps in front of it and gets turned into a squeaky plush hand puppet. The lightning comes out of this guy's eyes like God in Star Trek V. <laughs> what I, does God need with a hand puppet? It really made me think of that character. Yeah. Um, I, I I also just love that the hand puppet is like a really cute version of Kayshawn. It kind of, kind of reminds me of those like scam apps that claim that they'll like come up with like a perfect Disney illustration of yourself to make a new avatar yeah. for social media. If you're cynical, like I am, you're expecting this to be a merch item. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine. Go ahead and make your Kayshawn puppet. But yeah. while you're at it, uh, make your shampoo and conditioner bottles. Yeah. Make your big cylindrical luggage. Uh-huh. Give us the pillowcases. Yeah. If you do the shampoo bottles, don't put stuff in them because I, I don't want to use like Star Trek brand shampoo. I want to put my own stuff in there, you know? The guy who heads up the merchandising for Star Trek was at the premiere party, and uh, he's really lucky we didn't have two or three more drinks in us. <laughs> we really would have given him a piece of our mind. Yeah, he never responded to my email about making the Geordi uh, and Data in a shuttlecraft car windscreen as a, as a real product. And yeah. uh, 
I'm real miffed about that. I think he's got a, a dork filter set up <laughs> in his email. Maybe I shouldn't have asked him that extremely specific continuity question about season four, episode 11, uh, before I started pitching him on a product. You convention questioned him, Ben. You fucked up. <laughs> So this entire place seems to come alive and attack them all at once. Yeah. So they got to grab the puppet and run. And it's like a last minute jump through the closing doors on their way out. They manage to escape kind of the main atrium area in this museum and find themselves at kind of a shopping mall map where they can come up with their next step. And this is a moment of conflict between Mariner and Jet because Mariner's like, Cool, we are just going to shoot our way through a bunch of these rooms and hallways into the escape pods, and it's going to be awesome. And Jet sees a much smoother path to escape that is less dangerous for everyone. And this is a sensibility that really irks Mariner, but makes total sense to everyone else. What? No, you don't cut off my badass plan. Not even Boimler would... He's gone. Get over it. It kind of gets put to a vote, which is not something you want in an emergency military situation, which this has sort of become. And uh, right. ev- everybody kind of wants to follow Jet's lead on this. So uh, so they are headed to the escape pods. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back over to the Boim story, which is him and the crew on a shuttlecraft headed down to this planet dressed in minor drag. The Starfleet badasses that serve aboard the Titan... They're kind of like special ops people, and they think that the Big D was a snooze. They had regular string quartets. Wow, what a rush. They're making fun of what Riker used to do on uh, in his TNG days. I had a visceral reaction to this conversation. Because you were like, they didn't insurrect. The Big D wasn't the ship in insurrection. They had moved on to the E by that point. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what? Would someone please take the microphone out of that audience member's hand? We We actually have more questions at the convention. In season two, episode two of Lower Decks, <laughs> Boimler kind of rattles off some of the things that happened to the Big D, but like half of them were things that happened in movies after Star Trek Generations. And I just wanted to know, like, do, do people consider the E to just be kind of like a second D in this timeline or? For crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. You know what's great is that convention <laughs> character guy on the greatest gen shows is going to be just as hated <laughs> on the show as they are in real life at Star Trek conventions. <laughs> and I just, I, I keep asking the same thing to Shatner. <laughs> we don't have many heel characters on greatest gen, greatest discovery, do we? It's not. I mean, this is maybe the last straw, right? The last straw of differences between Boims and the rest of this crew because this is a a moment of of total clarity. Boimler sees his role in Starfleet totally differently, and he sees his heroes totally differently from the people that he works with on the Titan. Right. The Titan seems to really be a ship of action and mm-hmm. almost entirely a combat-based operation. And so the diplomatic side and the exploratory side of Riker's previous posting is almost seen as a joke by these people, and it's the thing that Boimler admires the most. There is the briefest of interstitial scenes here back on the Cerritos with Freeman that I think is actually pretty vital if you're trying to break the story and are wondering why the Cerritos is not involved in the museum prison break happening right in front of them. Right. Freeman is pissed about a recent performance review painting her as a micromanager. Can you believe that? And from that point on, she basically ignores everything that's happening over (laughs) on the collectorship. She is really the queen of overreacting to a managerial issue. (laughs) Like... 
yeah. very much felt of a piece with the setting timers on everything situation in season one. Yeah, but this is like the second worst look for Freeman compared to just being oblivious right. to what's going on. Like that would actually be bad captaining, at least in this instance, it's a choice. Yeah, because the crew on the collector ship are like in just increasingly insane nightmare situations like they're getting sucked into a trash compactor and grabbed at by robot arms while uh, the squid man like marches off and tells them to go fuck themselves he's not he's not with them anymore and uh, they wind up in a hall that is full of drones and bones lots and lots of uh, skeletons including the skeleton of giant Spock Spock 2 I love the reference. I love seeing how big he is compared to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how like... he died so bad. Yeah. Yeah. The drones in here are not hostile yet. So it gives them a brief moment of respite to give uh, Squid Man a shove. And Kalos's fuck helmet falls out of his jacket. And they, they realize that it was him trying to swipe this this helmet that triggered the whole ship turning into a hostile work environment situation. You can really tell that he's a boneless alien because he was able to to keister that sex helmet. No problem. <laughs> yeah. No lumps. It looks just like the helmet in Lord of the Rings. Oh, does it? Yeah. Like the, oh. the, the, the big bad guy at the end wears. What's that guy it, called? Is that, Sauron? Does Sauron need a helmet for fucking too? Mm-hmm. And then that lady kills him. And my mom, sitting in the movie theater seat next to me, goes, You go, girl! <laughs> yeah, the uh, mind the one eye of Sauron. <laughs> yeah. So he is really up on his high horse, backs through a laser beam that, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones would have w- walked right, right, right over it, but he walks right through it. and uh, Can't do that. It uh, sets off the Roombas. The Roombas are going to suck them to death. And uh, I guess the collector guy gets crushed by bones, right? He's dead. Yeah. He's he's crushed by the giant Spock bones. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awful that they're like climbing up Spock's remains. <laughs> he must have really been fucked up toward the end because his, his uniform's all ripped. Yeah. Something bad clearly happened. How do you kill a giant Spock? Great granddaddy's weed spray still works. This emergency situation has not brought them together at all. They've continued to fight amongst each other throughout. Yeah. Mariner and Jet cannot see eye to eye on what their response should be. And Mariner is now advocating for a everybody pick up a bone and play baseball with the drones. And uh, Jet wants to use the bones to build a barricade. They're like almost going to get killed just because they can't agree on how to defend themselves. Yeah, kind of a bummer, huh? Yeah. Things aren't going much better on the mining planet where uh, it's been discovered that the pack leads have set up a dumb crow to guard their snacks. <laughs> a pile of snacks which are revealed to be all cheese balls, which I love. <laughs> cheese balls are back, Ben. For a yeah. while they were gone. Yeah. And now you can get a cardboard container full of them and they are just as delicious as they ever were i would buy the packled branded cheese ball merch item yeah i would too jet and mariner actually kind of work their shit out though adam they're uh, they're talking about you know how have we let all this come between us and 
you know, my style is leap in head first. My style is think about it. Maybe the issue is that we want to be leading this mission and we we shouldn't be. It should be one of the others. Like everybody here is an ensign. So maybe Tendy or Rutherford can take the reins and they turn to them and Tendy and Rutherford are kind of shocked to have this kind of power thrust upon them. Well, it's kind of shocking for characters that have been delegated to to suddenly have the power of delegation themselves, right? Yeah. They have some good ideas, though. Yeah. The money is their bones, and these bones are acid bones that they can (laughs) crunch up to use to kind of paint a door in a wall and then uh, escape into a conduit. That's the plan. Yeah. So they're cutting this hole down on the planet with the pack leads. Boimler and the gang are being surrounded. They're stuck in a room. The pack leads are like going to break down the door by hitting it with a saw. <laughs> this got a very loud laugh from me at the at the premiere <laughs> event. They hit the door with the saw like a battering ram. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. I'm just going to do my impression of Adam laughing really loud. <laughs> That's about what that's it a, sounded. I was sitting right next to you. That's a great impression. <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Look, if if you see waveform in your impression of Adam laughing, you've done it wrong. <laughs> you did it incorrectly, yeah. Yeah. They realize that they're going to die, and so they they kind of start to start making their peace with that, and their peace involves, you know, talking about how they're going out like heroes and Boimler's like, this is not what I wanted. (laughs) This is not my bag. He kind of reminds them why anybody joins Starfleet and they go around the horn. They all have some pretty funny justifications for what got them into Starfleet in the first place. And it's not the action and the killing of murderous aliens. I joined up because I love beaming. Why would you join Starfleet, Ben? You probably get to eat lots of weird food on weird planets, you know? You'd be dead in the first year, I bet, (laughs) just from eating weird food. Yeah. The feats of strength would get into territories that you can't come back from. (laughs) On the Cerritos, Freeman has witnessed the escape of of our four in the away team. And Finally, her eyes fall on Puppet Kayshawn. Yeah. The result of her lack of micromanagement <laughs> made clear to her in that moment. Yeah. She's, uh, she's fucked up again, proven once more why she is not yet ready to command a, uh, a ship of the line or whatever it is that she's trying to get promoted to. Yeah. I think it's very funny that the captain is like, okay at her job, but not great. You know, right. It's fairly consistent throughout the show. Yeah. Boimler comes up with a Thomas Riker based solution to this problem because they can't get a transporter lock. And so they need to, like, do something to boost the confinement. And it's enough to get his three badass away teammates beamed up onto the Titan, but Boims does not materialize and he's in the room when the packlets break through and one of them throws an axe at his computer. It gets exploded. Uh, the screen goes to white and this was the moment in the premiere where like the Jumbotron that was not that far from us got almost like painfully bright for me. <laughs> yeah. It really cut into our retinas hard. It was, it was, We've not been the same since. It was an experience, man. Yeah. So he's like trapped under rubble. The the pack leads are converging. They try to beam him. It doesn't work the first time. They boost it. They get him. 
They've got him. He's back, baby. The Boimler scream mid transport is so great. Like the the <laughs> the joke in the edit of yeah. going back and forth mid mid transport and hearing how the scream is affected <laughs> is hilarious to me. And so is the quality of the Boimler scream itself. I feel like when you're reading for Boimler, you got to have a great scream. And I wonder if Jack Quaid knew he had that before he tried it. It's such a strange sound for a person to make that yeah. I like I don't know how he got there, but I'm glad he did. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's and he does it funny. all the time on this show. Pretty much every episode Boimler screams at something, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when he's on the Titan. Yeah, I love it. They've barely congratulated him about getting off when a message comes down from the bridge that uh Starfleet shuttle has left the surface and they realize they have a second Boimler. They've got doublement Boims, Adam. It's true. And they're starting off on the wrong feet. <laughs> they're not getting along already. Yeah. There's clone Boimler and there's regular Boimler. And now the Titan has too many Boims. And what Starfleet determines is that they just can't do that to one ship that does as many complicated and important things as the Titan. No way. So one of them is getting sent back to the Cerritos and Riker throws in as an ensign, almost as an afterthought. It is that is like so arbitrary and funny. I laughed yeah. really hard at this moment. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, and you're being just demoted yeah. also. This is such a double cross to like, I better fucking pray that there is never a clone made of me because I would double cross myself so fucking hard. <laughs> like this scene where Boims and clone Boims, they both sort of assume that, that one of them is going to volunteer to stay and the one and the other one's going to go, but it totally goes in a surprising way to both of them. Yeah. And it's clear that, that one of them might be just a little bit evil. <laughs> Yeah, the one and, that's going to go by uh, by William from now on. And he's like, Will Riker is really great in this scene. He's like the only one who could teach clone orientation. Yeah. And and he befriends William Boimler immediately. I mean, crucially, it's the Boimler that got tricked. The one that yeah. got deceived and embarrassed that is the one that is going back to the Cerritos too. <laughs> right. And that's a vibe that you get when he meets up with his pals on the Cerritos again. Like he's still super sad about it. He's sad about it. He's super boimlery about it. Lieutenant Kayshawn is going to be back. Uh, there's a little scene in Six Bay where Dr. Katz is like, this is no problem. And then uh, we're in the 10 forward of the Cerritos. <laughs> this is a show that has this power, Adam. They solve PIP continuity for the entire Star Trek franchise going back to TNG. Uh, just a piece of corn. I love this moment. I love the audacity. <laughs> Of making such a strong stand here <laughs> and, Specifically and correcting the continuity errors for the entire series. <laughs> yeah. For the entire franchise, they go ahead and, and correct. Yeah. They go ahead and explain. It's incredible. It's a scene that I, I loved that moment so much. And then when Boimler comes in and says the thing about the high concept serialized space battles and just drags all of the rest of New Trek... I I was like, what the hell, Lower Decks? Like, I know that, like, different flavors of Trek taste different to different people, but, like, maybe you're being a bit shitty about the other shows on the fucking extremely marginal streaming app that you're on. 
I thought that was a comment about legacy Star Trek and not New Trek. Oh, I think it was definitely like implying that the Titan is Star Starship Discovery slash Star Trek Picard. Oh, interesting. I that was my <laughs> take. I didn't like I it. I didn't like care the for idea it. that there's a that there's a feeling of rivalry among among new Trek shows, but I didn't take it as being cruel the way you did. It didn't work for me super well. But um what I didn't like was Jet in the ball kicking machine this episode because as soon as Boimler's back, yeah. he kind of takes Jet's spot at the lunch table and then Jet's bummed out about having to leave the the gang. Is Jet not cool anymore? I I think that's the question this episode answers and it's emphatically no jet is not cool anymore here's the thing jet's gonna remain cool to the rest of the ship because the rest of the ship is extremely eye roll at they corn pip jet in this episode ben (laughs) i thought kashan should have been a little bit more successful with that lady at the bar at the end also yeah the tamarian seduction techniques very confusing <laughs> for the fucking Stacy's at the bar or whatever. Yeah. To marry and pick up line, a little bit hard to parse. Uh-huh. It doesn't work. But Keishan seems to be a character that is going to be the chief of security on this show. And I'm very excited about that. I still miss Shax. I'll always miss Shax. But uh, no. yeah, Keishan's cool I, and, and very funny. When his uh, Temerian takes hold. Well, I don't, I, I mean, I uh, can only say this based on what I've seen on IMDb, but I think we will get a little bit more Shaxx or at least a little bit more of the voice actor who played him on this good. show. Good, good. Well, Adam, uh, did you like the episode? This is an episode that could win Star Trek bar trivia all by itself. <laughs> and... I think that is a quality that can be pretty dangerous when you're making a show like this, right? Like at what po- at what point does your show make the reference for references sake versus fan service versus sort of a masturbatory look at all of the trivia that I know? Yeah. Kind of vibe. Right. And I think to its credit The show does a great job in squishing all of the trivial aspects to the side. It does not make a big showy deal about its references in a way that I think really could have clanged. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, Museum of Star Trek as a location is is a more difficult episode to make than than your basic one. And I think degree of difficulty wise, I thought this episode rose to that challenge. I thought it was really good and funny. Here's one thing I wanted to say, though, is that for as many jokes as this episode made about basically everything, I was shocked at the joke road not taken by no one putting their hand inside the Kayshawn puppet. No one does that. Yeah. Ever. When they carry him around, when they rescue him, there's never that low-hanging fruit of the away team was inside Kayshawn. <laughs> like Dr. McLemo at the end doesn't put Kayshawn on. Like he just sort of like wiggles his hand. And I I suspect that was a longer conversation than we would predict in the writer's room about whether or not 
you penetrate Keishan as a puppet. <laughs> what about you, Ben? I really liked the episode as well. The joke that I was shocked wasn't in there was Lulu, 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 Lulu is long dead though, right? I mean, that specific Lulu, <laughs> but like other members of its species may may persist uh, yeah. you know, into this era. She is the last surviving member of her species. You know what? We should, uh, <laughs> you know how there's, a, how there's a monthly magazine for every animal interest? Like, you know, if you're a bird owner, you've got like bird talk when you like raise pigs. It's, yeah. it's pig pen, what, whatever the names of these. Uh, yeah. These Can't magazines fancy. are. The, there should be a Lululu magazine <laughs> for enthusiasts of the Lululu. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, but overall, I think uh, Lululu fancy. This is this is an episode that really is a great example of the references not getting in the way of it being just a funny story, right? And and just being there to to support it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes of short of uh, Lower Decks so far. Like, Whoa. full stop. I think it's really good. Wow. Even though uh, your retinas were almost burnt out? Yeah, but th- that wasn't the show's fault. That was the that was the promotion's fault, you know? It was almost the last episode of Lower Decks you were able to watch. <laughs> yeah. What if that you was the got... thing that, that ended my ability to, uh, <laughs> to participate in this show as a cited contributor? You almost got Ark of the Covenanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, do you want to see if there's anything in the Priority One inbox, Adam? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, we've got a couple of Priority One messages here, and the first one is of a personal nature, and it's from Jim Hockney to Adam and Ben. It goes like this. Hey, guys, I've been meaning to send a P1 message for a while, but have been struggling to think of something cool or funny enough. So instead I thought... As you guys are fans of Seinfeld, you might appreciate a message about nothing. Keep up the great work. You enhanced my ever-increasing love of all things Trek. Wow. Hey, thanks, Jim Hockney. I like feeling like an enhancement to things. (laughs) That would be a change for me. It would would feel bad if people were telling us we detract from their love of Trek. Sure. Or of something. Yeah. 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 I don't, would feel bad. I don't want to be a detractor. That's not what Jim Hockney's saying at all, Ben. Yeah, it's nice. He's saying exactly the opposite, actually. It's nice that Jim Hockney is saying it like that. <laughs> Thanks, Jim, for that really nice message. Yeah, that, that was really sweet of you. Ben, our second priority one message is from Defested. Oh. <laughs> this message is to you and me and all FODs everywhere, but... Specifically, the folks in this cabana. What the fuck? (laughs) The message goes like this. Hey, these are some fun hangs in this cabana right now. Y'all are awesome. Is Defested drunk P1-ing again? I think he is. Defested got in these P1s uh, just a couple weeks ago, and now he's back. We had some great STLV hangs with Defested. Yeah. Uh, Super fun cabana hang specifically. I wonder if we'll ever talk about that in a Marin Open on this show. I don't know. Well. It remains to be seen. Thank you, Defested, and thank you, Jim Hockney, for getting P1s. We really appreciate it. Mighty kind of you. Uh, if, if if you're listening out there and you would like to get a P1 on The Greatest Discovery, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. 
yeah, new Star Trek episodes are the prime time to get P1. Yeah. Do it. Just dump some P1s down the front of your pants. <laughs> See how that feels. Nobody's going to know what that means. <laughs> hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Paul F. Tompkins, Dr. McGlemo character. Not a ton to do in this episode, really just there to do two jokes, but they both hit for me and uh, <laughs> I liked them a lot. The like hand-drawn sign that says, this is not a puppet, don't touch yeah. it. And then he like completely ignores that. Uh, very funny. And the, uh, and the data joke, also very funny to me. Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. Not a lot to do this episode, but also very efficiently doing the put-upon work that a Star Trek doctor often embodies. I really love that. And that's why Dr. Katz is my Edward Larkin. <laughs> Gotta put her on the board! <laughs> wow. Well, that's a great one. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. Uh, I think I have the title here. Oh, yeah. Lay it on us. Yeah, the title of next week's episode is We'll Always Have Tom Paris. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Kind of a mashup of a TNG episode title and a Voyager character. I'm psyched for a a B-Dunks episode. Yeah. Lower Decks. Yeah. I saw Mike McMahon talking about the fact that there's already a commemorative plate on sale uh, from Star Trek to, uh, to, to to commemorate this specific episode. So they are capable of doing yeah. a one-off weird piece of merch. Yeah, it does seem that way. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to both the episode and the plate being in my possession, Ben. We'll see everyone next week. Here's some credits. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Do you enjoy merchandise as much as we do? Maybe you'll find something you'll like from our new store at podshop.biz. Our music is by Adam Ragusea. Follow us on social media. We're at Greatest Trek on Insta and Twitter. And there are great communities of friends of DeSoto on all the big social media platforms. If you have an Apple device, it would help us a lot if you'd leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Last time I looked, we were really close to having a thousand reviews. Help us get over that line. Or if you're feeling really frisky, become a monthly supporter at MaximumFun.org join, where you can get access to tons of bonus content. It means a lot to us. Okay, tune in next week for our review of Season 2, Episode 3 of Lower Decks. I gotta go now. Bye! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.